Welcome to the Arrangers Podcast. I'm Aaron Huddenstrom. And I'm Drew Zaremba. The Arrangers Podcast is a show dedicated to insightful discussion about the art, craft, and business of music arranging and composition. Be sure to subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us your questions at thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. And on Twitter at thearrangerspod. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Arrangers Podcast. Alan Baylock interview part two. We left off asking Alan about what it was like to write for so many guest artists as the head arranger of the Airmen of Note, in addition to all the other gigs he's done as an arranger. We will resume our discussion right now. Enjoy. Well, I guess the the, the follow-up question we have for guest artists, obviously within taste, but like, how do you decide what to write when you write Take More Chances versus Not Taking Chances? particularly when it's with one of their compositions, you know, when do you choose to mess with the form or obviously you don't touch the melody, but like even reharming or, or things that could potentially make them uncomfortable. What, what do you decide to take chances on versus play it more conservatively? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great topic. I would be very conservative with tunes of theirs. If it's like, so Zigaboogaloo, it's a tune and I took that tune and I arranged it for a big band. I'm not going to reharm it. No way. Mm-hmm. That's like reharming Wayne Shorter why would you do that right. you know we rehire Irving Berlin absolutely right but if it was an arrangement like I did stuff for Jimmy Heath I probably went too far I did a chart on Green Dolphin Street and I took it pretty far what I would consider left I was really trying to push myself and he played it I don't think he loved it but he played it um, so arrangements oh yeah I'll whitewash the whole thing but if it's a tune of the artist or if it's based on a specific arrangement mm-hmm. I'm sorry a specific recording yeah I don't want to mess with that too much also depends on the artist. If it's a more conservative artist, I'm not. I'll take fewer chances. Right. If it's a heavy hardcore jazz person, oh, I'll I'll feel free to, to be creative because they're creative also. Great story. Uh, one of my colleagues, Bob Thurston. We you know we wrote for country artists, we wrote for pop artists, we wrote for everybody in the Air Force band, and he was writing something for I shouldn't say his name, but for Waylon Jennings, and uh, <laughs> Bob Bob put on one of the five chords, he raised the fifth. All right. Oh. And so I don't know if it was the dress rehearsal, whatever. In the rehearsal, we got the whole Air Force band there, the guests and all their entourage and the TV cameras. And, you know, it's a big deal when an artist comes to town. So Bob's there and uh, they stop and they play. Uh, they, they're re- reading this arrangement and get to that chord and waiting and say, whoa, 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 what, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> and, and, and Bob Thurston says, uh, sir, that's an augmented chord. Wayne says, we don't F with augmented chords. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Oh and that's all that gosh. took for Bob Thurston was a brilliant guy. Yeah. So yeah. that's an example of going too far just by raising the fifth. Understanding as a country artist and this of tune course. was probably one of sure. his hits, you know. Sure. So you do have to be careful when ah. it's when it's somebody's that. wheelhouse, when it's somebody's baby. You gotta be really careful. Right. You know. That's wow! Awesome. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> That's funny. I did. I did a thing. Uh, it was for some choir, children's choir from Puerto Rico. It, it, it was for voices and a few instruments. Another Air Force band project, and it was one of the two worst projects I ever got. How do you dare you say that about the children? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, they were a great group, but I didn't. I didn't want to do the project, and I was 
ornery enough and far enough into my enlistment that they weren't going to kick me out. So I took that thing left. <laughs> and, yeah, and it was for these little kids, you know? Plus, it was I think it was augmented by our professional chorus. So they were supposed to do what they do, and then I orchestrated our singers around it. And, oh, it was so crunchy and stuff. I loved it. And we took it in, and I knew it was going to crash, and I knew people were going to turn red. Oh, no. Yeah. And it happened. It happened. And, of course, the first thing was like, Sergeant Baylock, you're going to have to rewrite this. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. But for me, it was worth it. Yeah. You know, Cause I was, uh, that was like, this shouldn't, this is, I shouldn't be doing this. Not an ego thing. No. This shouldn't be happening. This should not be being arranged for this, you know, oh, whatever. Man. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you get, you get into some, some situations, you know. Of course. It's all back in hindsight, you know, it was fun. I mean, 20 years of working with people, writing for the band. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. And I, at the time, I kind of knew it. Um, but I, uh, every four years, I, I wanted to get out, you know, because it was it was a, a big commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, being in the military is it's a big commitment. It's a twenty four hour gig. They can Can't call you anytime. Can't have long hair. No jazz patch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never had a difficulty anyway. Fortunately, but you have to be clean also. Uh, sure. And another great thing about that gig is I worked with clean musicians. Folks drank alcohol to varying levels, but uh, which is. You know, yes. I'll leave it right there. Um, but everybody was clean, mm-hmm. and everybody got paid to work out yeah. and be in shape. So, in addition to working with professional musicians, working with guest artists, <coughs> it was a beautifully, uh, it was a great environment. Leadership varied, um, but by the time I got out, it was incredible. So I have no regrets. You know, the first four years took forty, and the last sixteen took about a minute. Mm-hmm. You know how things go. Wow. So. And I, so October 1st, 2016 was my last day. So I've been out less than a year. You know? How was the transition from that really, really specific gig to now going to a completely other side of things? Yeah, it's... it's academia. Academia is completely different from what I was doing. I mean, I was teaching adjunct at, a, at, a, at Shenandoah, where I got my undergrad. Oh, okay. Teaching, arranging, and co-directing the big band. But this is totally different, because I, I was able to work... I had a flexible schedule in the Air Force. So I was on flex time... Not officially, but flex time, and I had a home office. So I had a lot of time to do my side projects. And, uh, I mean, I was raising three kids at the time. The Baylock Jazz Orchestra. Yeah, things like that. The home edition, as well <laughs> as right. the professional edition. Right, right. But you, you know, and you did a gig with us. You played, That's right. You're former lead alto saxophonist with the Alan Baylock Jazz oh, Orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I, do, I remember that, too. Gen Conference. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it's on your resume or anything, but you know it should be. <laughs> you were you were so psyched about it; it was great. Ew, I was. Well, we and we played one of your tunes, which is exciting for us. You know, yeah, blues for Gabe. That's right. Yeah, blues it's a great Gabe. thing having some pick and everything in it. Yeah, that's a beautiful tune. Thanks. Um, but yeah, it's what I'm doing now is, uh, well, I'll tell you honestly, the biggest difference is I'm not working with professional musicians. Mm-hmm. So I spent 20 years working with professional musicians, which is a freaking. Dream, dream gig, yeah, you know, yeah, to totally. work with pros. I'm not doing that. I mean, I had the cream of the crop, as you all were members of the one o'clock. I have the cream of the crop of jazz students to work with, but they're not pros, right? You know? Right. And so that's different. They're getting there. They're getting there, and they will be. You know, they will be pros. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible band. Um, and just you know, to mention one guy, Josh Kaufman was our lead trumpet player last year. Now right. he's in the U.S. Army Blues. 
He's in basic training right now, probably doing push-ups. Probably. Uh, so there's one guy that turned pro right away. Mm-hmm. But the potential is there. Um, but it, in it's not disappointing at all. It's actually really exciting yeah. um, to be able to, to uh, be at a place in their lives where they're really looking for direction or mentorship or answers or uh, any knowledge at all that I can give them after 20 years or the experiences of I, that I've had. Uh, it's really um, a thrill, and it's, I feel, people overuse the word honored, you know? Mm-hmm. But it feels like an honor to be able to work with, with those humble quality of students. Yeah, right, that's right. A humble brag, right? <laughs> Hashtag Facebook, Facebook lingo. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a thing. Uh, and yeah, of course, the, my colleagues at, at UNT, the other uh, professors, not only in the jazz division, but yeah. through the whole, the whole College of Music, it's, it's really been great. Yeah. But it's very, very, very different from what I've been doing. Uh, so the transition out of the Air Force was, out of the military, was good. It was a relief, and they still pay me. You get retirement pay. Kind of like getting royalties, you yeah. know? You right. get royalties on music you've written 10 years ago, which is great. So some of the work I've done 20 years ago, I'm still getting paid for. But yeah, it's, it's real different, real different. I'm still in awe that it worked out. Mm. And it took folks like Craig Marshall and the dean at the time, Jim Scott, and my commander at the Air Force Band, uh, Colonel Larry Lang, that enabled the transition to be so smooth. And I just, yeah, I feel really, really fortunate. Yeah, well, I'm sure everyone at North Texas feels super, super privileged that you're there. I hope so. Speaking of just professional life versus everything else, is there any like certain things that you've experienced that have helped with balance or maybe even uh, frustrations and how did you deal with that? I mean, because we all have these, as freelancers, Drew and I are both freelancers right now, and it'll be like, you know, two months of nothing. And then all of a sudden you get just all this pile of work that you, it's like, I'm not, how will I ever get this done? Do you, and it sounds like you've kind of experienced similar things. What has that been like for you? Yeah, it has been, it's similar. And I, I totally know, I totally understand as much as I can. I tried to, when the projects weren't there, I tried to stay busy writing. I tried to study. That was a wonderful time to get back into scores. That was a, another time to hone my own skills, maybe doing something I wasn't comfortable with. I didn't want to get too far away from it because when it did come, I had to be ready to go. There's no spin-up, warm-up time. So I tried to stay close when I did have time that I wasn't... It was it was rare because when, the, when there were holes in the Air Force schedule, I took advantage of that and wrote commissions and mm-hmm. stuff for my own band and things like that. Right. Um, but where there were times that I wasn't officially writing, I was still studying. I was still involved in listening and stuff like that. So the other thing that's really been important to me, and it makes complete sense, and it, it's no mystery, but it took me a few years to realize it, is just taking care of myself. Because if, if, if I'm more together inside, my output is going to be more together. And it's going to be easier to do the things that, I, that I'm capable of and love doing anyway. So the downtime was also beneficial. There are times, and I know Horowitz and Miles took years off, and you come back with a new perspective. We don't have that luxury right? at, at, at our level. But when there is downtime, taking care of oneself, I think, is really important. And whatever that is, it can be exercising, it can be a spiritual thing, it can be whatever, just to be prepared for when, because you know it's going to come back. You know it's going to come back around. So taking advantage of that downtime, I don't think I ever felt depressed or bummed out 
well, I did, but not in those situations. Like I didn't let that be the primary feeling that I was having. I was trying to take advantage of the downtime. Mm. But it's scary. It's really scary because you don't know when the work's coming. But you, you kind of know that it is. So I, was, I knew that it would come back. I was just trying to be prepared for when it came back. And I did that by taking care of myself and staying involved in creation of music and in, in learning about music at the time. On that note, um, I, I read recently that George Gershwin and Schoenberg would play ping pong. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to know if you had any particular hobbies outside of music that kind of sharpen your, you know, just kind of keep you refreshed and everything. <laughs> Actually, funny, funny you should mention Tennis, that. I think it was, that they played. Oh, but. okay. Well, I'll go back just one step. Before I wanted to be Maynard Ferguson, of course, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. Really? Yeah, I wanted to be Willie Stargell, who was my, my first idol. And his nickname was Pops. Just like Louis Armstrong, who was one <laughs> right, of my other, right, right. which I thought was really cool. But no, I wanted to be a baseball player. Huh. So when I got settled in D.C. after I got the gig... Still swinging. Yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Still swinging after not all an these error. years. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, after about 10 years, uh, our kids got to... Uh, we had three beautiful children, and they got to a point where they were a little bit more independent. So I was able to uh, start playing adult softball. And uh, I did that in Fairfax County where we were living. It was a great program. I was on three different teams at one point. Whoa. So I'd be playing three different nights, which was incredible. I loved the thrill of playing in the outfield, batting eighth or ninth, you know. <laughs> I was a singles guy, you know. Okay. And I was fast, so I could outrun an infield hit. And I, I loved shagging flies in the outfield. Nice. Um, I did that until I started teaching at Shenandoah, the adjunct thing. So the last five years, I, I wasn't able to keep that up. But... um. I, I did play some ping pong in undergrad, and as a kid, we played, um, but that's definitely taken over. In terms of hobbies, uh, other than buying shoes, I love playing ping pong. Alan and I are, we play... We play a lot. Almost every week, yeah, I, I remember would say. That. Well, at least yeah. it would seem like that. Yeah. It seems like almost Well, we every played week. two days ago. Yes. And then a couple days before yeah, that. A couple days before and that. a couple days before that. <laughs> so still swinging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Still swinging. Yeah. Apparently, the, <laughs> Wait, apparently the whole Gershwin family was like really into ping pong. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's something to get, get my mind off it. I, I do have a competitive streak in myself, thanks to my mother. Ah. Um, so I play cards. Uh, and anything I do, I try to... It, this probably comes out in music also. It's sure. just the, the... High notes. <laughs> yeah, right. No kidding. Yeah, that was a big competition. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a way to get away from it all. It is exercise. I mean, the softball thing was incredible exercise. Ping pong still raises your heart rate. And oh, all yeah. That stuff too. Absolutely. But it's just, it gets the... Uh, it's your the, butt sore. <laughs> the next morning. What? Uh, your glutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I had a glute, I'd know. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, that's, I guess, a hobby of mine. Sure, it's ping pong. And, and it's, uh, I love getting beat uh, because I really aspire to be better. And it's something that I'm comfortable losing at. And I'm, I'm almost 50 years old, so I've had experience losing, so it's more comfortable. When I, I was a horrible loser when I was younger. I broke many, many a ping pong paddle and walked out on, on many games because I, I lost. But um, right now, I'm just always looking for a challenge. So Drew and I, you know. We spar. Yeah, we do. We're, we're real, we're we're real close. We're pretty even keeled, yeah. I think so. It's great. It's, it's super fun. When, when uh, Drew came up, when you came up for the audition in D.C., we played, oh, we sure we played did. a ton. 
We did. Yeah. Oh, we played hours. Yeah, yeah. Listening to John Hollenbeck. Too. That's right. Yeah. At the same time. On that Hollenbeck record and, and played ping pong. Yeah, which was very distracting, by the way. So if you won, it's because I was checking out John right. Hollenbeck. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Boy. Yeah, like I wasn't. <laughs> oh, nice doubling. <laughs> yes. Oh, dang. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Hey, Drew, check out that. Oh, psh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, use it as a competitive strategy. Exactly. Who's, who's your team? Is it the Pittsburgh Pirates? It is. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I'm not embarrassed to say. I don't think they're in the cellar right now. But yeah, I was a big Pirates fan, and Willis Jargel was uh, was my guy. Uh, you know, Roberto Clemente was the my brother's favorite. And uh, so yeah, we went down to Three River Stadium a lot and, and oh, saw fun. saw the Pirates. Yeah. I still I still have um, boxes and boxes and boxes of baseball cards. I'm trying to get rid of them. But uh, yeah, it, I was I'm a, still a big fan. You've been down to see the Rangers play? Not since I've been back, mm-hmm. um, but I had. Man, I, I definitely went, went down a couple weeks ago to see them play my team, the Angels. Yeah, the Angels got walloped ten <laughs> to zero. <laughs> it uh, felt so bad. That's when you want your money back. It did. Oh I, man, dang it! I want my money back. That's rough. I remember going down the first time uh, to see the Rangers. Curtis Steven was. Uh, he lives in Carrollton now. Oh, I think yeah. you know Curtis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great musician. Great One of those guys that player. we know many of them that started in the nine o'clock, and by the time he was done, he was in the one o'clock. You know, a hard worker, talented dude. Nine o'clock lab band. For the, oh, sorry, for, yeah. For those of you non UNT folks on the podcast, wait, there's non UNT folks listening. <laughs> yes, just kidding. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yes. yes, that'd be Definitely. that'd be great. That'd Absolutely. Be great. Um, but Kurt Curtis uh, and I went down to a game, and I'm used to Pittsburgh, where uh, we would we would drive down and park what seemed like a mile away walk over across a couple bridges walk a little bit more into the stadium but man we got down to i guess it was the ballpark at arlington at the time i don't know what they call it now but you just drive up boom and you're there you walk in i was like what wait we're here i never experienced that as a kid you know right right yeah i remember that so shifting gears back to uh music and and writing not crap (laughs) (laughs) Who are some non-jazz influences uh, that have really inspired you throughout your your career that maybe have uh, shaped some of the approaches you have to writing? Other than Chase. Yeah, right. right. Uh, right. Musically speaking. Musically speaking, yeah. Um, well, my favorite symphonist has always been Tchaikovsky. I don't orchestrate like him. Our, obviously, my output and all of our outputs in our genre is different. But the thing I love about Tchaikovsky is just the, the melodies. So I can say specifically, I'm inspired and influenced by just that small part of his output. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know his symphony is better than all any other Beethoven, Haydn, Mozart. I mean, I've, I've checked all that stuff out, but Tchaikovsky, for some reason, really speaks to me. Um, so that would be one non-jazz folk that would really, I, I would say... Speaks to me and influences my music. I'm a bluegrass fan. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Doyle Lawson and uh, Gillian Welsh. I mean, those are older folks. Mm-hmm. I know there's some great stuff happening now as well. That's probably my what do you call it? My guilty pleasure. Mm. Dave Grisman. Sure. Yeah. 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 Like any genre, there's stuff that's really super well done, and there's some stuff that's average. But there's some incredibly brilliant bluegrass music that's that really sure uh, that, that is a it's refreshing to me hmm. to hear it also like old choral stuff like monteverdi and hmm. all that old stuff that was written for church that has those large intervals like open fifths and fourths and yeah before the third really came in vogue 
I love that stuff. Wow. I love it. It just takes me back to a different era. It's so haunting. and Renaissance music. Yeah, sure. Renaissance era, medieval era. Mm-hmm. Music. Wow. Yeah. By the time Baroque came around, I'm really not a Baroque music fan at all. But the stuff before that, um, in, the, in the, <laughs> whatever, the century before, two centuries before, yeah. it's always been fascinating to me. I mean, I grew up in a Catholic church. So some of that uh, resonates with me being in the choir, being in large churches, uh, just that sound of it. So those those are three things, I guess, that inspire me, but maybe not affect my output, sure. but give me peace or a nice feeling about music itself. Uh, other than Monteverdi, who are some of the other composers from that, if, if we wanted to check some out? Well, there's one dude called Gesualdo. Oh, yeah. Ah. Remember that guy? Yeah, Carlo yeah, 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 yeah. Gisvaldo. That's right. And yeah. he was writing wacky stuff huh. before wacky was even wacky. an infant. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even W. That's right. And uh, that also fascinates me, where some people can be so far ahead of what was to come. Mm. Like, and back to our genre, like Bob Grettinger, who wrote right. for Stan Kenton. Mm-hmm. His stuff, I don't know. It's it's just like a little oasis. It's an island into itself of a of itself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. City of glass. City of glass. Oh, all, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. It's just amazing music, uh, and it's just ahead of his time. Like Duke Ellington. We're still trying to catch up oh. with Duke Ellington. But Jesualdo is another guy that that sticks out. And then maybe maybe some others I don't even know, but I would just uh, enjoy listening just to the the open pureness of it before. That tertiary thing. Right. When thirds were still considered dissonant. Yeah, right. Right. Which blows my mind. Yeah. Because no now kidding. it's like you play a third and you consider that the most happy consonant interval. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. In pop music. But sure. For those of us who are in Drew and I's position or maybe even younger going to college or, or even thinking about going to college for music, do you have any advice, thoughts on becoming a professional musician that might help or might inspire? Sure. Yeah, because I was in the same spot, and I'm first-generation professional musician, so my parents, as beautiful as they are, they didn't know what to do. They did the best, and they, they gave me lessons, or they uh, paid for my lessons, and mm-hmm. paid for my undergrad, but they didn't understand the path. So I would say, don't go into it with a backup plan. If you're going to be a musician, if you want to be a professional music- musician, you have to eat, sleep, drink music all the time, mm-hmm. and don't worry about a backup plan. You have right. to go for it. Right. Because if you have a backup plan, you might end up doing that, which might be your path. But if you truly want to be a professional musician, you have to embrace that 100%. And it just has to be who you are at every level. And in terms of practicing, listening, supporting your peers, checking it out. One thing that is overlooked, maybe more in the past, but it's more up in the open now, is just social skills as a musician. Mm. Mm. And that's super, super important. If you do have an ego, keep it in check and have that inspire you to do what you can do. But folks that think they know it all or are better than somebody else or are special usually turn off friends and potential employees, employers. So... Um, it's important to feel confident with what you do, um, but understand that there's always, always, always going to be somebody that does it better. Right. But there's never, ever going to be another you. Oh. We can start <laughs> singing that, right? <laughs> right. So if you wrote one thing in your life, nobody else can do that. 
If you played one solo, that's your solo. That's that can't be created by anybody else because there's only one of you. So um, I didn't know that when I was that age because I was constantly comparing myself to everybody else. Right. And that's part of the. Um, we all do it. Yeah, I guess we all do it, and that's part of the competitive yeah. thing. Right. And it can be helpful, but when it gets turned around to be negative, it can actually be a, be harmful. Right. Right. But I would just say, back to the original question, just go for it. And I think there's always room for a creative musician. There's always room, just like there's always room for the next invention. We don't even know what it is yet. We're going to be like, oh my gosh, how did we live 2,000? Or, yeah, right, 2,000. How do we live 4, billion, 4 million years like this without this thing? So just like those essential things that were invented by somebody's creativity, there's always room for creative music and a creative approach to music. And there's always employment for somebody who's a great musician that wants to copy people also at a very high level. But there's always room for a unique creative approach. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are you listening to these days? What is What are you putting on the yeah. record and, and getting inspired from like this week? or Well, this, this week, that's a great question because I just, um, well, first of all, I bought Aaron's CD last night. So I'm looking. Thank you. That's mm -hmm. entitled The Living Room Session. That's correct. And uh, I heard that live last night in Denton. And um, it's going to be on my rotation very quickly. Thank you. But I broke out Miles Davis at the Fillmore, oh, wow. double double CD, which is some beautifully crazy stuff. Uh, and I've been playing for my daughter, who is a sophomore at Denton High School, great musician herself. And uh, I love to hear her approach or her take on it. So I've been checking that out again, getting inspired by that. And just the beautiful freedom of that and the intense communication. And that era was amazing in Miles' career. He was just... I, I love it. Mm -hmm. you know, I love it. Especially, yeah, I love it. I love it. So that's what I've been checking out this week, honestly. In terms of longer terms, like maybe the past year, the stuff that's really turned me on is uh, more John Hollenbeck. I've met him a couple of times. He doesn't know who I am. He's a sweet guy, too. But he his stuff is really pushing the big band genre. I, I, I shouldn't even label it that. It's just right. music. I remember I pro probably told uh, many people this, maybe even Drew, that uh, he had a, a new CD come out a few years ago, um, and I was feeling like I'd heard it all. Mm. You know, like, okay, man, all right, John, what do you got here? Go ahead, you know, go ahead and show me what you got, show me what you're gonna do here, you know, to myself. And I put it in, and Foreign One was the first track on that record, which right. is a retake of Monk's Four and One. So Foreign One, and I put this thing on, and I'm just mesmerized, and I'm completely blown away. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah. You know, that was it. So his stuff, and you know his stuff with Taylor Blackman, and and the the smaller stuff also is Quartet Lucy stuff is beautiful. So for me, he's 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 the person, or one of, one of the folks that I've been checking out and getting inspiration from. I don't want to sound like that, but right. I love the freedom and the creativity that he's putting into his his stuff, and it feels for me like I'm allowed to do the same again with my own sensibilities and sensitivities and my own craft. Fantastic. Okay, so now we're going to play a game called Drop the Needle, and we're going to give Alan a few uh, tunes that he has to figure out who the composer is. And uh, <sighs> and don't worry, you like softball, so we'll throw you a few softballs. And <laughs> But you wanted to be a professional baseball player, so we got to throw you some oh, curveballs, too. <laughs> yep, another, uh, another name for this would be the blindfold test, if you read Downbeat Magazine. I should have studied... 
Well, that better be the Basie band. Yeah, okay, yeah, definitely. Oh, should I say Frank Foster? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's who is Frank Foster? <laughs> the chart and the composer. <laughs> that was the Basie band. Of course. <laughs> it sure was. It wasn't Corner Pocket, was it? <laughs> is that your final answer? I guess so, yeah, sure. And the, and the composer? Uh, didn't Frank Foster write Corner Pocket? No. Neil Hefty? No. Corner uh, Pocket. Uh, he plays the stringed instrument in the band. Oh, well, there's two. Oh, it wasn't Freddie. Yes, it was. Was it Freddie Green? Freddie Green. Oh, okay. Wrote yeah, the tune, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it was arranged by Ernie Wilkins. Ernie Wilkins, okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yes. Well, I get half, oh, you got it. Maybe half credit. Oh, you get it. You, that's a, there we that's go. a full right. point. <laughs> Here we go with number two. Well, it's obviously Gershwin. All right. Nice. I want to say nice. an American in Paris, but it might not be that. It's it's no. It's not. Uh, it's not that one. Any other guesses? Another country. Another country. <clears throat> so Gershwin wrote. Uh, well, that was two countries right there. Uh, that's true. Neither of those. That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, I'll take a hint. Uh, it's uh, south of the United States. Many a jazz musician have collaborated with musicians from this country. Well, there's uh, there's a lot of countries. <laughs> yeah, that's, keep that's going. Keep going. Uh, there's a whole there's a whole genre based out of music out of this country. Genre of of Music that fused with jazz, Dizzy Gillespie in particular. What do you mean, like Cuba? Yes. You got the it. Cuban Overture. Oh, the Cuban Overture. Yeah. Okay. The Cuban Overture. <laughs> so, Nailed it. It. No. Nailed what, it. What is the Cuban <laughs> Overture? This is fun. For you. Uh, I'm, impressed that, I'm impressed that you recognized Gershwin right away. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that, that's that was easy. great. That's that, was, easy. that was great. That was perfect. Okay. Here's your third and potentially final one. Oh. Maybe we'll do more. Yeah, I get a bonus. That's right. <laughs> well, I know the name of the piece. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? It would. Oh yes, gorgeous. Maybe, maybe I'll give you the. It's the, the Kyrie Eleison. song. It is a Kyrie. Well, let me give you one more selection from the mass. Oh, 
Starts with a P. Starts with a P. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. Oh, yes, yes, it does. Last yes, name yes. does. Yeah. His last name does. Yes, absolutely. Well, I was thinking Praetorius, but uh, P. <coughs> give me, give me another hint. Very influential. Like you could say he's like the number one or two cat. Yeah, he's like the Coltrane of this. Oh. We're taking you back to uh, undergrad music history. For those of you who can't see, he is searching his Rolodex in his mind. I'm going through all my vowels here. Oh, wait, what? Starts with Z. Really? Yeah. That was not Jobim. Mm, uh, no, not Jobim. Je, <laughs> hook me up. Or give me another hint. Hmm, another hint. <laughs> I don't know that much about the <laughs> style of music. Well, give me. Josquin Dupre. Okay. Josquin Dupre, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Jacqueline's sister. One more. Bonus round. Dang it. Guys. Guys. Play. Spotify Gotta ad. play an ad. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Oh, it's clearly Jacques Dupre. You can edit yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's clearly based on the intervallic resonances. Mm-hmm. You know, my I had a related field at UNT, and it was music history, which kicked my arse. Oh, I bet it did. Dr. Lester Brothers. Wow. Woo. All right, here we go. Bonus round. <laughs> Uh, sounds awful. <laughs> That's just purely awful. <laughs> <laughs> That's, of course, Alan Baylock's Two Seconds to Midnight <laughs> from uh, the title track of his second album? First one. First, first album. album. First yeah. album. Yeah, yeah. Which everyone should get. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for playing, Alan. Thanks for playing, Oh, sure. Alan. Uh, so that that uh, erased all my earlier ills, right? Indeed. Of okay, course. good, good, good. Of course. No, is what is Two Seconds to Midnight? Oh, dang, actually. <laughs> crap. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for oh, joining yeah. us today. Yeah. It's, my it's pleasure. Been a, just an absolute pleasure for us. Well, it's my, it's my, uh, so. my favorite topic to talk about. So, for yeah. real. Yeah, no, I mean excellent. ping pong. Ping pong, yeah, yeah. right. right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Alan. And, Absolutely, uh, Aaron. You know, we'll, we'll uh, talk to you later. Sounds yeah. good. Look forward to it. Thanks, Drew. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. All right. And so that was our interview with Alan Baylock. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you get as inspired as we did from it and uh, got some good advice. And uh, if you have follow-up questions about this or uh, topics that you want us to revisit, please email us at thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Email us your questions at thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to find us on Facebook and on Twitter with the handle at thearrangerspod. Happy writing and hope to see you next time. <laughs>